Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, March 15th, and we're talking back-to-back SaaS stocks. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Matt Cochran in the studio. Matt, what's going on? How are you doing, Dylan? I'm doing great. It's so nice to say, in the studio. Live and in person. Live and in person. You know, it's, it's a bit of an adjustment. We're so used to doing shows like this over Skype, and you're, you're here visiting with your family, which is kind of a treat for us. Yeah, the kids were on spring break, and we decided to come up to D.C., and we've seen, uh, you know, most of the major monuments and, uh, you know, the, the touristy-type stuff. We toured the Capitol building and uh, went to a lot of the Smithsonian museums, and uh, we had a good time. We couldn't let you just come up on vacation, though. We had to put you to work while you were here. Definitely. <laughs> and we're also <laughs> going to be putting your kids to work. We're going to have them join us in the studio in a little bit to talk about the stocks that they own, which is awesome. It's so fun to get kids in the mix investing early. Before we get over to that discussion, though, we're going to talk about two companies that we like quite a bit. Yes, we're going to talk about uh, Salesforce and Shopify today. Two names that are probably pretty familiar for a lot of fools. Uh, Salesforce is one of those legendary stocks. It's been around for quite some time, and I think it's kind of timely that we're talking about it now because we're lapping a major anniversary for this business. That's right. Uh, just earlier this month, uh, Salesforce.com uh, celebrated its twentieth twentieth uh, anniversary. It first opened its doors um, in early March in nineteen ninety nine, and this company is really the business that set the groundwork for software as a services. I've spent so much time on this show, especially with your friend Brian Feroldi, talking about the software as a services segment. It's become such a reliable space for investors to park cash because there's been crazy growth and really great customer retention there. That category really wouldn't exist without Salesforce laying the groundwork for it. Well, it's crazy because when it first started, I mean, so many of the things that growth investors look for today uh, in, in in some of our favorite tech stocks, like software as a service and just being a, a part of the cloud, like Salesforce really pioneered. Uh, when they started, the cloud wasn't even wasn't even you know much less the in the mainstream lexicon. You know, I don't even think techies really talked about the cloud when Salesforce first started, and they, and they definitely were one of the first pioneers of the, the SaaS or the software-as-a-service business model. Yeah, you could not put together the Mount Rushmore of disruptive tech companies without having Salesforce on there. No, absolutely. It's a great company. <laughs> great company, and the results keep coming for them. Uh, you know, you look over at the most recent quarter, solid growth, and that's the story that we've gotten used to with this business. Yeah, you know, it's 20 years old, but it, it's refusing, which is which is old in the tech sector, but it's refusing to act its age. You know, it just reported its fourth quarter uh, results for 2019, and revenue was up 26% year over year. Adjusted EPS was up 49% year over year. It just keeps churning out great results. And I want to pause for a sec on that growth rate because 26% year over year growth rate for a 20 year old business is incredible. Uh, and it's a testament to the SaaS model. But you think about that growth rate, and if you apply that over about a three year period, 26%, that gets you to a double every three years. And that's basically what this company has done from 2016 to 2019, just showing that even for a mature business, the growth hasn't slowed down and the share price appreciation certainly hasn't slowed down. No, it hasn't. And they they just provided some long-term guidance, and they're still projecting for for slightly over 20% year-over-year revenue growth going forward. And that's where they've been, I think, for like the last five years or so, somewhere between that 20 and 30% figure. The compounding really works in your favor when that's the case. And the reason for that with a business like this is, on the SaaS side, you can raise your prices for plans, 
you can grow revenue by adding customers, or you can add services to your product suite, and that leads to larger account sizes on the customer side. All of those things wind up contributing pretty positively to the top line. We've seen that with Salesforce. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, they're just in a they're just in a real sweet spot. Their their customers love them. Uh, they and, and they keep adding more and more products that their customers are signing up for. Let's talk a little bit about some of the core cloud offerings for their customers. All right, so uh, like they 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 offer several cloud platforms for their customers. I would say the three primary ones are probably first and foremost the sales cloud, and this empowers like sales teams for different companies to sell to sell just more efficiently, to sell faster, smarter, and reach your customers in a better way. The sales cloud. Uh, can be used by customers to store data, monitor uh, customer leads, forecast opportunities, analyze data, and deliver quotes, contracts, and invoices. Uh, and just to get a, a sense of the scale for the sales cloud, every day, more than 3.2 million sales leads are generated in the sales cloud. But it's not just the sales cloud, Matt. They have plenty of other product offerings as well. Yes. Uh, so we have the service cloud. And the service cloud enables companies to deliver, like, Personalized customer support 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, it allows customer service agents to reach out to their customers across multiple channels and devices so they can reach you on the phone, on email, through text, social media, and just the company's own apps and products that they have. And again, just to get a sense of the scale for this, uh, every day more than 9.7 million cases are logged on the service cloud. We couldn't talk Salesforce without also hitting the marketing side of the business. I think when most people think Salesforce, the ticker says it all, CRM, uh, customer relationship management. That's where you get some sales. That's where you get the service. It's also where you get some marketing initiatives as well. Correct. So, they also have the marketing cloud. And again, this just enables companies to really personalize their, their customer marketing journey and includes interactions across all those channels like we just talked about, email, mobile, social media other web products, and it gives these companies the power to, to really target their audience and optimize their messaging for different demographics. And for the sense of this, I mean, every day, more than 1.9 billion, with a B, emails are sent out from Salesforce's marketing cloud. And they really are, at this point, the default in this space. And that's what you love to see for any company. You particularly love to see it on the SaaS side, because once you're in there with those enterprise contracts, once you become business standard for all these operations, it's really hard to get companies to switch their providers. No, it is. I mean, it's a, it's a very sticky platform, and especially once, once these companies, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but once these companies subscribe to more than one of these clouds, they start spending a lot more money with Salesforce. I mentioned that some of the new product rollouts are one of the keys for SaaS companies, building that revenue base, getting customers to spend more as a cohort. What's going on with Salesforce right now? What are they building? What are they working on? Yeah, so I mean, they're not done. I mean, they have these core cloud offerings, but they're a long way from being done or from uh, stopping to innovate. So, like I'd say, first and foremost, right now, they they've introduced Einstein AI, and they just rolled it out in 2016. Uh, but it's already grown phenomenally. Uh, so, what this does, and this is right from their their 10K filing. It, uh, Einstein AI automatically discovers relevant insights, predicts future behavior, proactively recommends best next actions, and automates tasks. Uh, and the, the the platform's taken off. So right now, the, the platform, it makes more than 6 billion predictions every day, and Einstein Analytics generates 44 million reports every day. And the idea here is, if you have some of this somewhat automated 
could probably help with some response time, also just help with managing a lot of the things that will be coming in for a larger business. Correct. And it can be applied to, to all of their different cloud offerings uh, just to give companies this AI ability. So, for instance, with their commerce cloud, which isn't even one of the clouds we just talked about, but like it'll tell companies how to rank their products on their website or for for you know if you log on to a company's website it'll be more personalized for you and it'll it'll help companies like hey Dylan might be interested in these products so rank the products this way when Dylan logs on but when I log on I'll have different preferences and Einstein AI will let the company know how to rank the products when I log on I think this is a perfect case in point for the way that AI is investable because very often you look at a mega trend and you say, okay, well, who's the one selling that thing, right? Who is the one that is going to benefit the most because sales of that type of trend are going to go up? AI is kind of a thorny one because for a lot of businesses, it's something that plugs into what they're already offering and makes their offering more efficient, makes it more cost efficient, maybe makes it easier for end users. That's the case here. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of times we'll uh, we'll think about AI and just like uh, the companies, like the big tech companies, doing research on it and everything like that. But if you want to invest in a company that's just applying AI to their products, Salesforce is a great way to go. All right, what else are they working on, Matt? I know that Salesforce Customer 360 is also a major initiative for them. So Customer 360, uh, like Salesforce management, like I want to say, quote, like. Uh, literally said this was like the holy grail to reaching your customers. And what this does, it integrates traditionally uh, many of these compartments, the commerce cloud, the sales cloud, the marketing cloud, they're their own silos. They're very compartmentalized. And it's very hard to integrate the data from these different clouds, not just with Salesforce, but for however the a company wants to store or use its data. But what Customer 360 does, it can integrate the data from all these different compartments so that the entire company is like uh, seamlessly working to reach their customers. So, for instance, a Customer 360, like if, if, if I'm logged onto a website and I've placed items that I want to purchase in my online shopping cart, but I abandoned the purchase, the Commerce Cloud can now tell the Marketing Cloud, hey, Matt just logged on and he was about to make this purchase, send them an email with promotional materials for this purchase or for similar items that he might be interested based on abandoning this, uh, abandoning the items that were in his shopping cart. So Customer 360 just gives companies a, a holistic view of their customer. Holistic seems like the best way to describe it. I know in the, the conversations that I've had with the Biz Intel folks at The Motley Fool, who spend a lot of time thinking about how users interact with the site, what causes them to leave, what causes them to stay engaged. That's the kind of stuff that they need in order to have the right targeted messages go to people. Um, I imagine that we are not unique in that as a business. You know, Most companies at this point are pretty far along in their e-commerce investments, and it, this just seems like a no-brainer to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, what we were talking about earlier is how, as a Salesforce investor, you want these its customers to subscribe to more than one of these clouds. And what Customer 360 does, it really encourages that because these companies will now be able to integrate and use the data from the different cloud offerings. Um, and so, for instance, a multi-cloud customer for Salesforce, on average, spends 10 times more than a single cloud customer. So that's why this is so important. And right now, only one-third of Salesforce's customers are multi-cloud 
customers. So Customer 360 really encourages these two-thirds of their customers who are only single cloud customers to subscribe to more of their offerings. Yeah, it's great from Salesforce from a revenue perspective. Uh, it's also great because the product offering is even better for the people using it, right? You have all these efficiencies that are gained from having that more holistic look. And of course, it becomes a lot tougher. Your your platform just becomes stickier and people aren't going to be as willing to leave it for other players in the CRM space. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, when, uh, when if you're a customer and you're doing your marketing, you're doing your sales, you're doing all your customer relationship management through Salesforce, you're not leaving anytime soon. All right, it's it's uh, kind of amazing timing. We were planning on doing this show anyways, Matt, but we happen to get a listener question this week, and I think it's just kind of kismet. We'll talk about it now. Uh, Gary wrote in, and he asked, as an owner of shares of CRM, Now, and Workday, uh, I've been gratified by their performance, but somewhat unclear as to the degree to which the services they provide overlap. Could you please clear that up to help determine the aspects in which they're competitors and the aspects in which they are not? And maybe we can start here by just decoding the tickers for the people that aren't familiar. Sure. So we have uh, we have Salesforce CRM, we have ServiceNow, which ticker now N O W, and we have Workday ticker W D A Y. And it's a valid question here from Gary because I think a lot of people look at the SaaS space. A lot of the companies look very similar. You look even more specifically at business operations, whether it's CRM or maybe some of the HR things. A lot of the buzzwords are going to appear in each company right up, and it's all going to blend together. You, you start hearing the buzzwords like cloud, platform, and everything else, and all these enterprise software companies. And if you're not familiar with the space, it's really hard to just keep your eyes from glazing over, no doubt. <laughs> to try to prevent that from happening, Matt, what's the 30-second take on the different spaces that these companies operate so, in? So, I, I hope this helps, but this is how I think about it. So, the, I, I try to just classify all the enterprise software companies into one of two categories. So, a company like Salesforce helps a company with their offense. It helps them... Uh, maintain those customer relationships uh, efficiently, and it helps them generate more sales leads and and basically grow their own sales. So I think of Salesforce as helping a company's offense. A company like Workday. So what Workday does is they offer platforms for for human resource management and a lot of accounting software as a service. So they they'll help companies like uh, maintain their balance balance sheets and accounts receivable and accounts payable software. And so, to me, that's better for a company's cost savings. So, I think of Workday as helping a company's defense. And then ServiceNow is actually it's interesting. It's the smallest of those three companies, but they actually they're most known for I believe their IT workflow processes and automating a lot of those tasks. However, they also have platforms and human resources and human capital management, and they also have a platform for customer relationship management. So, in a way, ServiceNow actually competes with them both a little bit. And these are three very different companies from a market cap perspective, too, right? I mean, Salesforce is kind of the SaaS company that all SaaS companies aspire to be. They're a over a hundred billion dollar company at this point. Uh, the others are quite a bit smaller. Yes, uh, Salesforce, their market cap is right about one hundred twenty billion. Uh, Workday, give or take, is right about forty billion. And ServiceNow is even smaller than that. Yeah. All right. So we are going to switch gears and talk about company number two in the SaaS space, and that is Shopify. Uh, like Salesforce, probably a company that fools are pretty familiar with at this point. 
Yes. So Shopify, if you're not familiar, just really helps. It's like the go-to platform for entrepreneurs and even larger businesses to sell products online. So I think in, in recent days, there's been a few articles about Kylie Jenner being one of the youngest billionaires ever uh, because of her online makeup empire. And that she sells all her makeup on a Shopify platform. I think that's one of the surprising things with Shopify. You know, you you get the pitch on them, and you're like, okay, we're helping entrepreneurs. And you think of this very often as someone with kind of a cottage industry business. You know, something almost like Etsy-like in what they're trying to set up in terms of a storefront. The reality, though, is they are providing the back-end stuff for a lot of pretty big companies and some pretty big names. Yes, absolutely. And, and Kylie Jenner's not the only celebrity. Like Tom Brady just recently set up his online merchandise with Shopify. And some big companies use Shopify a lot to just sell items online into uh, because they know it's a it's a quick and easy process for them to use Shopify instead of just going in-house. One of my favorite anecdotes about Shopify is the fact that Amazon was kind of interested in this space and then ultimately decided Shopify was running such a clean and solid operation that it wasn't worth hopping in there. Um, you know, there's maybe some editorializing in that story, but I think it speaks to the fact that what they do um, is offer something that is clean, simple, and easy to stand up, and it works for people kind of at the whole range. Uh, you know, whether you are someone just getting started on a small business or you are trying to handle something that you know thousands or possibly millions of people come to in a month or in a quarter. That's right. And it's also important to distinguish them from the Etsy's and the Ebay's of the world. There's a lot of third party like online marketplaces where you can go to sell products, but it's very hard for someone to keep their own branding on on those platforms. They could just get lost in the in the sea of other sellers. With Shopify, it's really about letting the small or or large seller maintain their own branding and their own identity. And you become a lot less reliant on the specific platform. You know, there are horror stories about people who sell directly through Amazon, and all of a sudden, Amazon kind of shifts on a whim, and all of, and their entire operations are you know kneecapped. And so, uh, it's something that is owned and operated quite a bit more than using those platforms the way that maybe a lot of people might think they would. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so the big numbers for them, uh, very similar to what we see in the retail operations space. That's the gross merchandise volume, uh, it's payments, it's it's all these kinds of things that people that follow mobile payments and e-commerce are probably familiar with. Yeah, no. So uh, they they just reported their fourth quarter, and revenue was up fifty four percent year over year, and their gross merchandise volume, which uh, GMV, uh, was up again fifty four percent year over year, but. It's important to not, Shopify is not about the products being sold on the platform. Just remember Shopify, and this is a subtle difference, but Shopify is all about helping the sellers sell product on their platform. And just a, a quick quote from their last conference call from their chief operating of, op, officer, Harley Finkelstein. We aim for Shopify to be the first thing that merchants open in the morning and the last thing that merchants close at night. In other words, we want Shopify to be the heart and soul of a merchant's business, helping them sell more and work more efficiently so they can focus on the things that really matter to them. True to SaaS form, this company is rolling out a lot of different things to be that one-stop shop for merchants. They continue to roll out new products, new offerings to make it uh, basically your dashboard if you're an entrepreneur or you're trying to run an online business. Right. So they have two uh, primary revenue segments. They have sub subscription solutions, which is just what the companies pay uh, each and every month 
for for the to be to have access to the Shopify platform. But what is now their largest revenue segment and and fastest growing is the merchant solutions. And while this is lower margin than the subscription solutions, what makes this so what makes this so great though, besides just it's fast growing phenomenally, I mean this segment was up 63% year over year. But even better than that, it makes Shopify's platform so sticky and like with all the the new products and features they're offering. And we think of that as ecosystem, right? When we're talking about the SaaS space, we look at all the different offerings that are out there, the product suite. With each one, it gets harder and harder to leave. Absolutely. So just like Square, I, the, the the keywords you need to remember for Shopify and Square is the ecosystem. Once a seller is on this ecosystem and they're subscribing to all of the extra features, the bells and whistles, it's going to be very hard for these sellers to leave. I knew that you couldn't come on a podcast and not talk about Square. <laughs> I knew we were going to be going that way. You're like our resident mobile payments expert, you and Matt, frankly. Couldn't resist, huh? I could not. <laughs> <laughs> what else should people be mindful of when it comes to Shopify? All right, so just let's look a little closer at this merchant solution. So they have Shopify Shipping, which was just launched in late 2015, and it just makes it very easy for merchants to select like third-party third-party shipping partners. Uh, it lets them print out the shipping labels real quick, allows them to track orders, uh, and 40% of the eligible merchants use this platform in the fourth quarter, and that's just uh, that's up from 30% last year. You also have Shopify Payments, which just enables merchants to accept card and digital payments across all of its online and offline commerce platforms. Uh, and the Shopify payments, the dollar volume was up 65% year over year in the fourth quarter. So this is being used by more and more sellers. And what makes Shopify payments interesting is it's kind of like the gateway drug for these merchants. Uh, because if you want access to Shopify Capital, which is their like their lending platform for, for businesses to have access to easy financing, or Fraud Protect, which is their fraud prevention program, you have to sign up to Shopify Payments. You keyed me up a little bit too well for our next section with Gateway Drugs. Uh, this is a business that is also entering the cannabis market uh, and, and has gotten quite a bit of press for that. Yeah, so uh, while, while this, it, they're a Canadian company, and so Canada just legalized cannabis not too long ago. And while this particular mar market is not necessarily huge, uh, you know, management believes it establishes Shopify as a trusted partner for future markets where cannabis might be legalized. Um, so, because of the stringent legal requirements that were put in place by the Canadian government, such as age verification and ensuring all sellers are properly licensed, uh, that management really believes like there's going to be set up nicely for the yeah. future. In some ways, it reminds me a little bit of um, a very popular fool cannabis company, uh, Kushco Holdings. And this is a company that focuses on the packaging that goes into the marijuana industry because it is heavily regulated, and some of those regulations vary state to state. Um, I would imagine a lot of the same stuff is going to be in effect when you're talking about commerce platforms, particularly websites that would interact with customers and be selling them any of these items. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. What else do you want to hit on Shopify before we wrap things up, Matt? And just understand, like this merchant solutions, they're they're not stopping. Just like Salesforce, they're not. They have not stopped uh, launching new products for it. So you have Launchpad, which is a specialized tool that lets merchants uh, plan and automate flash sales and product launches and sales campaigns. They have Scripts which enables merchants to optimize their e-commerce checkout in different ways and automates discounts and promotion codes and things like that. And they have Flow, uh, which is their integration tool that allows merchants to offload repetitive tasks, such as reordering inventory, letting merchants focus on 
you know, just growing bigger and getting uh, bigger faster. And, and again, once just just imagine if you're a, if you're a seller and you're using Shopify for your shipping needs, for your payments needs, to host your website, and for marketing and for all these other things. You're not leaving that platform. It's a sticky ecosystem. Yes, it is, uh, and I'm happy to be a shareholder of that ecosystem, Matt. As am I. <laughs> All right. Before we sign off for the day, like I said before, Matt, you stopped by HQ with your kids and took the tour. Uh, listeners, if you're ever in town, you want to see the office or meet the team, let us know. Um, and your kids have been patiently waiting behind the glass while we've been taping the show. We're going to bring them in now and wrap up. All right, let's do this. All right. <laughs> All right, for this last segment, I am joined by our junior analysts. I've got James, Rebecca, Anna, and Gideon in the studio with me. You guys are Matt's kids. Welcome to HQ. Hi, welcome. Uh, well, wait. Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's too, you know, I appreciate you welcoming me. I think that was really nice. Um, before we talk about some stock stuff, what do you guys think your dad does on a daily basis when he's working for The Fool? Writes he articles about stocks. That's probably one of the best answers we've ever gotten, Matt. <laughs> Sometimes people are like, oh, my dad just sits in a room and, and, he, and he plays on the computer. So you guys know that he writes about stocks. Yes. Yes. And you guys also follow stocks a little bit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, what stocks do you guys follow, James and Rebecca? Um, Disney, Amazon, Google, Skywork. Yeah, Skyworks. A lot of good companies in there. How did your dad start the conversation with you guys about investing? Because I think a lot of parents out there are like, I want my kids to care about this, but kids generally aren't interested in stocks. Well, at the beginning of each uh, year, and it started probably in 2015, I think, uh, when I was like 10, and he like told me about stocks and like what basically what they were. And he said he told me to make a list of all my favorite stocks. He he, he had me like go on. The, I'm pretty sure the Motley Fool website, and I got to like look at that companies that I liked. Uh, and I got to there were it was like a list of my favorite stocks, and then we finally uh, got it down to my like my top three. And he said I would he would get me those stocks at the end of the year. That's pretty awesome. And what about you? Well, my dad gives me like well he gives me and James classes. Classes about like money. Okay. And he told us about stocks. Okay. And so now you guys check in on your money every now and then to make sure it's doing okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was one of the best lessons that you've gotten from your dad about mm. money? Probably uh, he told us what credit and debit cards were and how they worked. That's a crucial lesson. I wish someone had talked to me about that before I went to college. <laughs> um, you guys haven't just been hanging out following around HQ and looking at stocks, though, you've also been checking out DC. Anna, what was your uh, what was your highlight? The Lincoln Memorial. Lincoln Memorial is pretty awesome. How tall is Abraham Lincoln? When he stands up, he's 28 feet, and when he, he when he's sitting down, he's 19 feet, and he's 19 feet wide. You taught me something that, as a DC resident, I didn't know. I have been to the Lincoln Memorial I think 10, maybe 12 times in the time that I've lived in DC, I have never learned that. So you're teaching me stuff. That's pretty awesome. What was the highlight of touring around HQ, guys? What was your favorite thing you saw? Oh, man, I saw a lot of those big squishy balls that you sit down on, kind of like the <laughs> yoga class things. Those are very popular. I have a standing desk, but I know some people like to sit on those balls and hang out. Rebecca? Um, I liked the Harry Potter room. Yeah, Rowling's kind of a favorite. Do you like the brooms? Is that what did it for you? Um, 
Sort of. <laughs> and Anna, what about you? I like the Harry Potter room, too. Yeah? Was it the brooms or the chess set? Um, what did you like the most? The brooms. The brooms. All right, guys. Thanks for hopping in the studio. Can you give me one last hand? Yes. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the videos from this podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentions, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. Thank you for listening and Fool on! Okay, I need to read a disclosure that legal says that we have to have at the end of every episode. Can one of you guys or all of you guys read it for me? Sure. Sure. All right, I'm going to bring it over. I don't know how to read. (laughs) (laughs) We should have a mic in front of you, Gideon.